Hi everyone, this is the EFG podcast, Beyond the Benchmark. My name is Mo Zafsal, I'm the Global Chief Investment Officer for EFG. Uh, so we have today Stefan Gerlach, the EFG Chief Economist, which uh, I thought would be quite useful given we've had quite a few uh, non-EFG speakers and, and their views over the last uh, few months. But I thought we'll, uh, we'll bring an in-house and we can compare and contrast with respect to what um, uh, others outside of EFG uh, or inside of EFG have, have been saying. So, Stefan, welcome. Thanks very much, Moz. It's fun to be here again. So let's let's go straight to it. We're we're at a very interesting time in uh, monetary policy, where we've had these accumulated uh, interest rate increases, um, quite substantial. Uh, we were just talking a little bit earlier. Uh, uh, in- increases over this uh, last, uh, call it eighteen to twenty-four months, but we're now hitting the crest, where we're thinking uh, rates or uh, that uh, will will. We'll pause. I think saying that seemed to be the very clear message from the Federal Reserve last time, and we're now poised delicately with this um, confluence of events where markets are thinking rate cuts are coming. Central banks saying no, no, no. We're still um, on pause, if not increasing, just to kind of keep the the hawks alive for as long as possible. Um, we were set very, very delicately poised. So, uh, Stefan, you're, um, you're thinking around this point. Yeah, I think this is uh, this is quite, uh, quite right. Uh, this morning here, I was uh, uh, sort of preparing myself a little bit, and I just looked at what the different central banks done. And as you say, they have been raising interest rates um, a very large number of times. I counted 12 uh, Bank of England interest rate increases, uh, I think the uh, the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, raised rates eleven times. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand, also eleven times. Um, the Fed and the, and the Bank of Norway, ten times. Uh, the ECB, seven times. The Bank of Sweden, six times, and the SMB, four times. Yeah. So we've seen a, a wave of uh, of of interest rate increases, but it looks like then they're sort of they're slowing down a little bit, and it looks like well certainly the Fed communicated the last time. That I think that while they do not in anticipate to increase interest rates any further, they could still do so if there are some some surprises in the data. But I think we probably reached the crest in some countries, and we are close to the crest in other countries. Obviously, market participants have already started you know, pricing in rate cuts, as they typically do. They tend to be much more kind of anticipatory. Um, obviously. They're thinking of you know banking crises. They're thinking of these other you know credit conditions tightening. They're looking at these forward-looking indicators that suggesting that the uh, economy will and economies will eventually slow down, uh, and eventually will will continue to squeeze that uh, uh, inflation those inflation numbers. Um, I guess the big question or the billion-dollar question is um, who's going to blink first. I think that is indeed the question, but but as you uh, highlighted there, I think it's very important to look at the different uh, perspectives different players have. I mean, financial markets are inherently forward-looking, uh, as you said, because they worry about future changes in interest rates and how that may impact or generate future changes in exchange rates. and stock prices and so on. So they are really focusing on what might happen in the future. 
I think central banks are probably more looking at uh, at, at the present. Uh, of course, they do. They have forecasts, but I think there is a sense that forecasts are forecasts, and they are always a little uncertain. But at least we know what the current data is, and I, I think there's sort of a sense among central bankers that inflation is still running high and it given particularly the behavior of core inflation that's that's solid in a number of countries and hasn't fallen back very much headline inflation has but core inflation hasn't sort of fallen back very much i think they their suspicion is that well we might have to continue uh, keeping interest rates at this level for, for a while Moreover, if you look at labor market, you, you get that sense as well. Unemployment rates are very, very low levels in a number of countries. Let's kind of can delve into this um, point a little bit more because obviously leads and lags are really important in this, uh, you know, in this discussion and this debate where, um, you know, employment, for example, is a really good one because it is typically lagged um, data. Um, you're looking at maybe forward-looking indicators like jolt surveys and so and so job opening surveys to kind of get a sense of whether the slack is being you know taken up and when does it start to flip into um, um, you know excess uh, um, of supply. Um, in your mind, what are the typical leads and lags that one needs to think about historically, and what is a central bank view? around um, those leads and lags? So the, uh, the Financial Times this morning uh, uh, referred to a just-published research piece by the ECB, which, which, I, which I haven't seen, but they, they said that this research uh, piece suggested that the peak impact of the ECB's tightening of monetary policy that started uh, in July last year, we probably felt in 2024. So that's, uh, that's two years, and I think... And that's, uh, I mean, it depends on sort of a little bit when you when you study economics and so on, but that's very much what I was taught and what I sort of learned uh, earlier on. It probably takes about two years for the peak impact on, on inflation, and the peak impact on economic activity is probably faster, but it can be, could be like one year, uh, suggesting that we will start to see the peak impact on economic activity probably sometime in the second half of this year, because most many central banks started to raise interest rates um, in, in, in May or June and so on last, uh, last year, and that will... The, and the real tightening came came last fall, so uh, I says yeah I think that's a good rule of thumb. It could be a bit faster now. Some commentators have argued that it's it may well be faster now, principally because financial markets are now following what central banks do much more uh, attentively than they did 20 years ago or so, and that it would react quicker and that sort of speeds up the transmission mechanism. But I think as a rule of thumb, I always thought one year for economic activity and the labor market and then two years for for inflation. So the uh, we will not, haven't seen, I think, the peak impact of the of the of the of this rapid monetary policy tightening because it simply started they started raising rates too late. The other sort of um, thought um, suddenly going through my mind when I'm thinking about uh, interest rates and, and where they're headed and and obviously thinking about why markets have moved so so viciously um, uh, ahead of expectations. Um, do central bank bankers think? And that we can react in terms of cutting interest rates when something breaks or when there's some very clear 
um, messaging that something's broken. So, you know, um, of Silicon Valley Bank and and, uh, and and all the associated banks that have been bailed out subsequently, was that sort of um, the thing that broke the Fed in terms of uh, recognizing that they need to be now very careful what uh, uh, their policies are, are doing to um, the financial system. So first, I, th- I think you're quite right to sort of point to central banks reacting very quickly uh, when something goes wrong in the financial system. And of course, the the uh, the sort of prototypical example is the, is the collapse of Lehman on fifteenth of fifteenth of September. 2008 that led central banks to cut interest rates by hundreds of basis points in the months thereafter. So yeah, they react very strongly. And I think with respect to the most recent episode, I think the tensions in the US banking system that became apparent following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank uh, must, uh, well, it's plainly one reason the Fed uh, thinking of monetary policy has changed. They mention it in in uh, in the minutes of the meetings and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, I think this is uh, this is a key factor that has impacted on on on, on Fed thinking. Um, it hasn't impacted so much on thinking outside of uh, of the U.S., but it's it's certainly at least in the U.S. it's a key. Tensions in the financial system is a key driver of monetary policy. And of course, the second order effect um, um, has been, uh, on the banking side, has been very clearly on making sure there's stability. What do you think the Federal Reserve's thinking about? Obviously, they've written uh, a post-mortem on Silicon Valley Bank, but uh, what do you think they're thinking about uh, the financial system at the moment? Um, Do they genuinely feel it's you know safe and secure obviously a lot of market participants uh, are really focused on you know whoever's going to be next i think the fed thinks that the financial system probably is secure right now but i think everyone knows that uh, you know something could happen uh, if you raise interest rates by 500 basis points in about a year uh, there will be financial institutions there, perhaps banks, perhaps some unregulated institution. They have not at all anticipated this, and they position themselves and they adopt a portfolio allocation that will <laughs> might look very, very bad when this happens, as was plainly the case with Silicon Valley Bank. So when you do something so dramatic with monetary policy and so unanticipated, uh, you should be ready for there being turmoil in the in the market, and I think the Fed has come to realize that uh, while it looks good right now, you never you never know. I mean, financial stability is uh, is is a very different animal from from inflation. Inflation, we have lots of data on. We have we have uh, monthly data on inflation, lots of prices and so on. Um, but financial stability or financial instability is much more going like going ice skating on on a pond, mm-hmm. and it all looks good until someone suddenly falls through the ice, and then you realize any one of us could fall through the ice this this second. So that's why you have this dramatic changes in policy when something happens. Uh, one thing that's been going through my mind over the course of the last six months, uh, and actually longer, has been fiscal policy has obviously been a huge driver of the inflation that we've had this time round. And and actually one could argue the monetary policies had less of an impact uh, given 
fiscal stimulus. Is that a kind of a fair, uh, you know, reflection of the current environment that we're in? And actually is, you know, fiscal policy, obviously now we hit the budget ceiling debate in the United States and, and clearly that's going to have an impact on, on the narrative going forward. Um, do you think that we now do finally see inflation slowing because the fiscal impulse is going to diminish going forward? I think that's a very good point. People don't sort of uh, talk uh, a lot about that. Uh, they focus as much on monetary policy. But uh, once you think about how these policies work, it becomes clear that the fiscal expansion that we've had sort of during COVID, for instance, has had a, a big effect. I mean, fiscal policy essentially means that demand increases directly, either because the government spending increases, or probably because the government provide more, uh, more social security spending and so on, and, and consumers, they increase their spending immediately. So you have a direct impact on the level of spending in the economy. Monetary policy, uh, in contrast, works by inducing you to spend. Uh, interest rates goes down, you start thinking about borrowing, um, or interest rates go down and your mortgage payments fall, and after some time you start thinking about, well, perhaps you should spend the money that we saved in some way, and so on. That effect is much more indirect, as I said, and, and therefore it takes longer time to work out. Uh, this is why we have these long lags in monetary policy. So if you have a situation such as the recent one where where you have a number of shocks that impact on the economy directly, energy prices rising because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and, and so on, and that all comes together with very expansionary fiscal policy f during COVID, um, you know, in, inflation is going to rise very quickly and monetary policy is not going to have much of a of an impact on inflation in the short run. So uh, indeed, I think fiscal policy has been a main driver of inflation, particularly in the US. And I think as fiscal policy is now being scaled back in a, in a number of countries and monetary policy starts to impact on inflation, we will see, I mean, these two factors now work in the, in the same direction. But, but yes, yes, have fiscal policy been different during COVID, we would almost surely have had less inflation, certainly in the US. Mm. No, I think that's, a, and in the UK, um, what are, one would argue as well, and I, and I think the propensity for inflation has been uh, much, much higher. Uh, Europe, interesting enough, probably didn't have as much fiscal spending in one go, but it's been much more longer tenured, if you like, and, and actually still spending now, right? Whereas... Um, and maybe that probably explains why the impact is probably more even in Europe than it is in, in other parts of the world. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I, I think that's true. I mean, some countries have very little fiscal room uh, when, when, when COVID struck and, uh, and, uh, and last year to support uh, households uh, when any energy prices surged. Um, so I think you saw you saw less less action there, and I think, uh, as you say, I think this is what this is a key factor that that explains why the there are differences in the behavior of inflation in Europe and in in the and in the US and, and in the UK as well. Moving on, uh, Stefan, you're privileged. You need, you speak to a lot of uh, central bankers around the world, uh, some very very interesting people um, um, that, that you know historically. What are the key themes that they're concerned about at the moment? And, uh, you know, what is the sort of narrative 
that is that is you know wandering around the halls of central banks around the world? So I very often uh, ask sort of former co- colleagues in the central banking environment uh, the question that I think we are all wondering, which is, have central banks tightened too much? Uh, or not. And I think some think that they have, but I think many of them think that they, uh, the central banks have probably not done so. And quite a few say, uh, well, I, uh, certainly in Europe, uh, they would say, uh, I'd be inclined to raise rates a little bit more, but very carefully looking at uh, if there's, uh, to see if there are uh, sort of any, any, uh, unfortunate effects being unleashed, for instance, in the banking system and so on. So I think, I, I think there is a sense in Europe that rates have to, in the euro area, that rates have to go up a bit further, but one has to be careful. Uh, I think what happened was the central banks, if you focus on the ECB for a while, I think what happened was that the ECB waited for a long time to raise interest rates, and then they realized and they were far they were far behind in, in, in with monetary policy, and then when they actually started to uh, to raise interest rates, well, in that situation, it, it sort of makes sense to um, it makes sense to uh, you know just set off and, and raise rates relatively rapidly for a while, and the ECB did raise interest rates. Uh, um, by 75 basis points a few times and then slow down and raise them by 50 basis points a few, uh, a few times and only recently turned to 25 basis points. So I think it makes sense. So to, uh, you say, look, interest is far too low, uh, too low. Let's just raise them quickly towards the target level and then we can sort of slow down. Um, and uh, the question now is, for, I think for many people, certainly in the last uh, ECB meeting, the Financial Times were arguing, I think quite convincingly, um, uh, that the key issue the ECB faced then was 50 or, or 25 basis points. And I, I think probably, well, the ECB decided to do 25 basis points. And I think that will say many people... Um, that I talk to, talk to not only central bankers, but other economists and so on. I think people generally felt interest rates had to go up a bit further, but perhaps not as rapidly in the past because uh, it was clear that sort of the the peak level was, was not too far off. Um, and I think that's the situation problem now. I suspect that if you were to ask people... Uh, uh, now I suspect many commentators, many informed commentators, would say, "Well, they probably have to go up a bit further. We don't really know exactly how far they have to go up further, but let's uh, let's continue to raise twenty-five basis points uh, and see what happens. And if you, perhaps then even raise another twenty-five basis points after that. So, yeah, I suspect this is sort of the view. The view rates could could, could rise a bit further." In in, uh, in Europe, um, yeah, I think in many countries, I think that's the situation also in Switzerland, Sweden, and, and so on. In terms of obviously, there's been huge shifts in policy over the last five years um, because of COVID, Russia, Ukraine. I mean, these are huge events, world events um, that have happened, and, and I think that from what I could see, and just an observer of history, and just observing how central banks are viewed in this current environment. I have to say, I'm quite impressed with the way central banks have, have, have reacted. Um, you know, one could argue less so. I, I think the ECB, by the way, I, I think have done a better job than the Fed. Um, and 
probably the Bank of England is probably last of the pack in terms of, you know, credibility um, over the course of the last, you know, two years in particular. Um, is that a fair assessment? I, I think ECB, although they come under a lot of criticism, given that they had the additional wrinkle of Russia Ukraine where the Americans didn't have that that challenge... My real perception is they've actually handled it reasonably well. I, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely not a Europhile by any stretch of the imagination, but <laughs> but uh, it's just an observation I have. And you know, where I, we get the sense that the Fed was kind of panicking, and you know, they st- clearly started late, and they had really had to move very very quickly, and and probably created a lot more problems. UK, I think, has been more about you know credibility. Um, where they've made some missteps, where they you know, signalled that they would raise rates and they didn't, and and then they fell behind, and and that caused you no know, challenges. But uh, what is your assessment of 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 uh, ranking of central banks in terms of how they've played it over the course of the last two years? I think it is true in general in central banking that uh, there are a few. I mean, you know, central banking in general is not that hard. <laughs> I mean, inflation <laughs> is close to target. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I'm sure you would say the same thing to be CIO. It's not that hard in most cases. You have a diversified portfolio and so on. But there are a few moments where you can really make or break it as a central banker, uh, depending upon how you interpret the situation. Uh, they are few and far between, but they really matter. Uh, you know, for instance, think about the Great Depression in the, in the U.S. Montresorians are now arguing the Fed was simply far too slow, uh, you know, to adopt a expansionary policy, uh, and that that explains that whole episode. In it was transmitted through the gold standard because f- many countries did not want to devalue, and it sort of spread through the gold standard. So this was a big policy mistake, and I suspect that the, uh, I, I suspect that when you find better examples for for uh, in the investment world, but I suspect that, that people that hold on to equity in the 1970s as oil prices as rose had huge losses on the portfolios and so on. So I think there are a few moments that really makes or breaks it in a central bank uh, banker's life. And I think you're right. They had, did respond. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's an enormously large shock, unprecedented shock. We lost had a panic in 2018. War in Europe we haven't had since... Uh, you know, a major war in Europe we haven't had for 80 years. So these are really, really rare events. I think you're right to highlight that. And and I think they have done broadly well. Of course, we would have wanted them to control inflation more. But, you know, these are just unprecedented events. And just as, you know, when these things happened, uh, you know, for, for any observer, you know, for you and me, we weren't really sure what was going on. The central banks weren't really sure what was going on. Uh, and I just, yeah, these are very, very highly, extremely unusual events. And, I, yeah, I think they did reasonably well. It couldn't have gotten a lot worse. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, I think. But, no, I, I think that's, um, yeah, I think you're right. They have done, they have done well. There are very few episodes in the central bank's uh, uh, in the central bankers' life, I think, where they face something like this, and that, in many ways, make or break it, uh, make or break their career. I know there have been sort of formal academic work that sort of asked the question, you know, how do you, yeah, you know, how do you sort of become seen in history as a good central banker? And the key thing seems to be 
be in office sometime where there aren't any big shocks. <laughs> um, so if you if you're lucky, you know there's nothing really bad happens, and yeah. you're you yeah. governor for those eight years, and you have a fantastic record. And if you're unlucky, something really really big hits you, and you can't really figure out what policy should be, and there are other disturbances, and your record ends up being bad, and your place in history is sold. Yeah, I was going to say, but, you know, Greenspan was great until he wasn't. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's a good example. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, we had this year, so very rapid growth and low inflation. And people said, well, you remember the book. It was called, it was called Maestro. Yeah, yeah. And then came the crisis and there wasn't so... Uh, there wasn't so many maestros left. <laughs> it wasn't so much of that left afterwards. Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's, that's a very, very interesting point. I, I think, you know, Powell and central banks uh, certainly uh, in this period have had a really difficult time. And I think, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I think I'm quite an objective person. So, you know, I, um, you know, some of these inflationary numbers that have, have come through, there's not a huge amount. And, you know, a lot of, you know, um, a lot of commentators are very easy to criticise, but I suspect if they're in the hot seat, you know, um, you know, wouldn't have been able to trigger some of those decisions, you know, inflation, you know, raising right. rates earlier and so on and so forth. Because I think, and, and this is the point I was bringing about fiscal policy, because they don't necessarily control fiscal policy. Um, they're given fiscal policy, and so um, trying to sort of you know second read, uh, which quite frankly fiscal policy has been, has been completely ineffective over the last you know thirty years or so, um, and um, and suddenly having to deal with it, it is quite an unusual event, and um, and I think that um, you know the the central bankers haven't really. Had the right toolkit to to um, to deal with it, um, of course, until it was late, and, and then they know what to do once once those inflation numbers are going up. Um, anyway, I, I think uh, maybe I'm being too kind to a central banker. Maybe they invite no, me to I, their party. I, 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 I think you're right. I, I think you are uh, are right. I mean. Fiscal policy in general, you know, doesn't do very much. Just sort of, you know, government spending gradually rises uh, over time. Um, so there isn't sort of much for a central bank there, I think, to uh, to react to. And but then suddenly you have this these tumultuous events over the last year, with very large shocks that you suspect will slow the economy. Uh, and you have suddenly out of nowhere extremely expansionary fiscal policy, and you have a tool that impacts on the economy with a lag of a year or two. So, you know, they actually don't really know yet uh, what the outcome of, of this episode will be from what the monetary policy scorecard would look like, because we don't know whether the second half of this year will be characterized by a soft landing or you know, a limited slowdown in, a, in these economies. Or on the other extreme, if there would be just a huge recession triggered by these um, by these banking uh, by these banking issues, it's too early to say. But as it looks right now, I think they probably have done quite well mm. in extremely difficult times. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think mean, it's it's worthwhile just sort of you know bringing home some of the points you've just made. I mean, the view we have at the moment is this sort of. You know, mild recession camp, and I think, you know, one could argue is very much a, a consensus view uh, today. It certainly wasn't consensus 
um, uh, you know, a while back. Um, I think what I found quite interesting, and this is maybe where, you know, I can put my CIO, CIO hat and just observe what's happening with, say, subsector performance. You know, what I find fascinating at the moment is that U.S. home building companies are at 52-week highs or even record highs in terms of their share prices. And the real estate sector, or certainly residential real estate sector, is basically implying a soft landing, saying, you know what, you know, interest rates will come down. Obviously, that will help our stocks uh, or home building in three years down the line. Uh, and um, you know, the market has anticipated that. And certainly when you take you know, excellent work that you do, excellent work that our teams do, uh, and the um, um, collective uh, economists out there who are providing us with views, matching them with sub-sector performances and how certain sectors have done very well, and you're trying to sort of build that picture and that narrative, you know, soft landing definitely seems to be the narrative at this point in time. Clearly that can change and we need to be aware of that. But certainly I think that is the course. Um, from an economist's point of view, how do you, you know, view uh, the economy and soft landing prospects versus hard landing prospects in, in the next sort of 12 months or so? Well, I, I think so. I mean, among the broad number of people that I that I talk to, economists uh, working in other financial institutions, academic economists, central bank economists, and so on, I think, as you said, the, the main scenario is perhaps a, a little slowdown. And, you know, that's not such a bad thing, because if you want to lower inflation from these levels that are far too high, then, you know, a slowdown, you know, is... is, is you know, might help you do that, uh, and uh, and I think, you know, as I said, most people, academic economists, uh, economists in financial institutions, central bank economists, I talk to, I think, as I said, then on on balance, they tend to think that rates probably have to go up a little bit more in a number of economists, and we may have a small small recession, but that's probably the scenario, uh, the most likely scenario, so it's not, it's not too bad. One should remember, though, I, I think, that um, very often when we have a recession, that is not forecasted. We forecast perhaps lower growth for a while or uh, a bit of a slowdown, and then something unexpected happens, uh, and it turns that slowdown into a into a recession. So I think recession risks have increased, but I don't think really that's the main scenario. The Fed's staff forecast seems to just suggest that a mild recession is a is a uh, is the main scenario. But you know, a mild recession is neither here nor there. Very often. Um, at least when the National Bureau of Economic Research, which sort of quote-unquote is seen as the sort of official arbiter of recessions in the in the U.S., very very often when they say we 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 have we have a recession, a recession, they refer to the past. The U.S. economy slipped into recession, you know, three quarters ago, and it exited that recession last quarter. So we didn't really notice real time. Um, uh, so I think a mild recession is not uh, is not much of an issue. The concern, of course, is that if there would be a deep uh, recession, because they can take some time 
to uh, to undo. Mm, no, absolutely. Anyway, we'll we'll certainly watch that very uh, very very carefully. So, uh, Stephen, last question for you: um, When you you know, you think about interest rate uh, pauses, where do you think? I'm not going to hold you to it because uh, that's probably my probably more like my 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 ballywick. When do you think the first rate cut in the United States will will uh, will come? Based on you know historical analysis and uh, and and your thoughts. So, so uh, I mean, if you believe as I as I sort of believe that the peak effect of monetary policy and economic activity is felt with a lag of around twelve months for quarters. Then you would expect uh, sometime, uh, sometime in the second half of the year, we will we will we will see that peak uh, effect. Um, uh, and um, you know, if that happens, uh, and inflation and inflation starts to fall, I mean, headline inflation in the U.S. or well, the overall inflation rate in the U.S. is coming down. It's actually below core the core inflation. Core inflation being as inflation minus food inflation and energy prices. Um, if core inflation were to start falling, then I could well imagine that this would happen in the second half of the year. The Fed is not pricing, though, it's not, it's, it does not think that that will happen. Well, that's not the median view of the members mm. of the Federal Open Market Committee that sets monetary policy. Mm. Uh, but uh, but uh, many market well, market participants, as you know, are pricing this in. That sort of strikes me as as plausible. And certainly, if we were to have a deep recession in the second half of this year, uh, then I think we would all expect the Fed to cut to cut interest rates. So, some cuts towards the fourth quarter, I think, seems uh, seems likely. And it come, you know, it could come earlier than so, when there could be larger than twenty five basis points. We just have to see what the how the U.S. economy evolves, mm. Uh, mm. and um, as I said, given the massive tightening of monetary policy over the last of the last year, you would expect this to have a, start having more and more of an impact on the economy uh, as time goes by. And certainly, these banking tensions that you mentioned that started in March will also impact on the U.S. economy with a couple of months of lags. So. Yeah, so cuts in the second half of the year, I think, is quite plausible, and I'm, I am very happy. It is not part of my job description to <laughs> guess exactly when they will happen and how large they will be. And it's it's good that you're paid to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, I think we're probably aligned on that view um, in terms of um, you know second half, and you know I think the markets, you know, they, they'll always uh, anticipate far ahead right um uh, you know and, and if you think about peak uh, you know bond yields really were in q4 of last year um and they they've come down ever since um and i think that um uh you know anyone who's fought against that trend over the course of the last you know three or four months is sitting on quite steep losses uh, and so I think uh, one of the thoughts, you know, certainly I had suddenly coming into this year is one needs to be very open and pragmatic to market developments and not get sort of pigeonholed or or stuck in a particular point of view, because, um, you know, this is an environment which is actually fast changing. You know, one would not have expected Silicon Valley Bank to go under, you know, six months ago. Right. And and I think um, the, the developments are, are fast you know, fast moving and one needs to be open and pragmatic 
to uh, you know to developments, and of course markets will price in a recession far sooner then central banks will recognize it. <laughs> yeah, no, as it, as it's always the case. see why that is. Because, I mean, for financial market participants, if you can anticipate what the Fed will do in the next policy meeting and, you push, and you're positioning yourself correctly, that could make a, a big, uh, could have a big impact on your, on your portfolio performance. But for the central banks, if you raise interest rates by 25 or 50 or not at all, you know, uh, that really doesn't, you know, that really doesn't, matter so much because you can always speed up or slow down the meeting you know two months later exactly, you can always yeah. sort of you know catch up Absolutely. 50 percent sorry 25 basis points doesn't have so much impact on, on on the economy it's a very slow gradual impact so you can just sort of undo it a bit a bit later on the market participants of course they have every reason to stare very hard at the data and spend a lot of time and trying to divine what the fed do, would do the fed itself is sort of uh, it's not so well, it doesn't matter so much for the for the fomc i think absolutely well very very well said Stefan. so um uh any other last comments you had anything that you know you're really focused on which is maybe different to the normal work you would do so i i mean i think you know these developments that we have seen over the last uh, over the last three years since covid struck and, and everything else i think the big question there to ask ourselves is what will be the long run impacts of 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 these things? This is not sort of a short run. Uh, the next three quarters will look like this or like the, or like that. I mean, uh, th- there are a number of things that have happened also at, yeah, at the global political uh, level. Uh, I mean, people to talk about deglobalization. I think that's uh, that that concerns are sort of overdone. But it still would matter, for instance, if companies. Uh, decide to not do so much business risks with China because there were but political risks associated with that or or so. So there are a number of really big things. Uh, I mean, uh, how will, you know, the European economies evolve in the aftermath, hope, hopefully, of it. I mean, hopefully the war in Ukraine will end soon. What's going what's to, what will that do to the economies in the next five to ten years? Uh, have real interest rates increased permanently or were they going to fall back to where we were before before this episode there are a number of really big questions here that are not easy to think about but they will matter hugely for the global economy and i think also for 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 the returns of different types of financial assets Mm. Very, very well said. In, in fact, uh, we will look forward to that journey as we uh, as we think about it. And uh, you know, they're, they're very profound. Uh, you know, developments, you know, both ge- geopolitical, uh, geopolitically, uh, and its impact on on the economy. Um, you know, we've had you know fifty years plus of globalization, uh, which has been great for for especially those emerging markets, those other economies. Um, uh, you know, over the years, uh, but they're also much, much bigger than they used to be. So, you know, there will be internal dynamics that are also important. China and the rest of Asia certainly having a a, a meaningful impact. But uh, certainly, very, very interesting to think about it. Very interesting to think about uh, the impact on financial markets. Well, Stefan, thank you very much for your time thank today. You. Uh, very interesting debate as always. Uh, and as always, um, yes, indeed. And and look forward to having you again. Uh, again on very soon Uh, with that we will stop there Uh, thank you very much for listening Uh, and uh, please do listen into the next podcast no doubt we'll go back to an external 
viewpoint for next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.